Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Beth Popnikoff. She's the CEO at Vembio. So Beth, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you've been putting out lots of wonderful stuff with Zach over the years, and I failed to reach out and I finally got the opportunity to reach out and connect with you. So I'm, I'm so grateful for this. Yeah, me too. I'm glad we could make it happen. So when I look at your background, the first thing that sort of sticks out of a question in my mind is you started in English literature. So what was the original plan? I have coined myself as the world's worst English major. Well, my original plan was my major was in English literature, but my concentration was in technical and business writing. What I really wanted to do and actually get to do it in a lot of ways and the work that we do at Benvio is I really love technical writing. Like I love a good technical manual. My husband and I joked that on our very first date, one of the very first questions I asked him was, do you read the instructions when you have to build something? Because I think it says a lot about your character if you don't, and he doesn't read the instructions. We got married anyway, so it's fine. (laughs) So you overlooked that. It was just, it was kind of a pre-qualification. I thought it was a high standard that I needed to hold on to. He was worth that compromise. But I really love taking something really technical, like the engineers of the world, engineers and specifying engineers are my favorite people that we target. They're so like complex and simple at the same time, but so different from just our us average lay people that they have to deal with. So I love explaining things really well. And I thought that's what I wanted to do for my entire life. I thought I was going to go in a dark room and look at really complicated things and explain blame them for other people and never interact with humans. That was actually, I got hired doing exactly that right out of getting my master's degree. I worked in the communications department of advanced auto parts, writing copy for their web. You know, I know more about brake pads and chassis than you would think that I would. And I remember sitting there in my dark room with a great team of smart people and being like, this is terrible. It sounded so much better in your head, right? Right. It sounded so much better in my head. It is an odd thing, but what I didn't know was that I love to have a human element to that. And that's really where the agency world and Benvio gets to come in. But I use a lot of my technical writing background. It's important when we, because we work with very technical products. I understand and conceptualize when we talk to waterproofing contractors and they're speaking a third language for most of us, but I'm like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I can do, you know, I can support our team in the past, in my past roles, I've supported the team or supported clients in creating that type of content. So that's a little, it, it is a little bit of a jagged road getting here. I won't lie to you if you're right about that. Yeah. I'll also <laughs> sort of ask you about your progression, but before I, I do that, I just want to say, what's the most interesting and technical thing you have simplified for a client or a project? Oh, that's a great question. Hmm, Let me think about that. So some of our clients are actually like manufacturers are their clients because they're a component manufacturer. And it's funny because we partner really well with them because we have effectively the same customer base, right? So we've worked with companies who create 
like the chemical base for something like cocks and sealants, as well as chemical base that goes into like pressure treated lumber or engineered wood, things like that. And those are some of the most fun pieces because what we do and what we've done in those situations is, okay, so we have to move away from talking about the materiality because that's going to be a given, right? We all know the exact materiality that needs to be, needs to be polyurethane as an example. It's easily understandable for somebody who's a professional, what that polyurethane does and doesn't do. What's most typical is to talk about features and benefits, right? You know, it's, it's not water soluble. It holds up for this long. It's not going to dry out in the sun. You know, it's going to have this level of adhesion in certain types of weather, things like that. So those are features and benefits where we push that starts to become really powerful is into results. So as an example, if you have a really technical product, like, so let's go back to Cox and sealants. You have a sealant that typically freezes at a certain temperature that puts you out of the running for Canada for like eight months out of the year. But if we just tell you like it doesn't freeze, well, if, or we tell you like it works in X degree weather, that's a great, but that's a feature and benefit. What if I could tell you, you can do jobs all year round. Now you're seeing dollar signs. So instead of going into just making your features and benefits into natural language, it's more about making it relatable on a human level. Very, very cool. And I guess part of that is maybe translating to all the different influencers or, you know, not, I don't know what you call non-customers to make sure that that complex sales uh, happens. Yes, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Great. Awesome. All right. So going back into when you first went from your dark room (laughs) into a light room, was it an easy transition? Oh, I mean, I have to say yes. It's those moments when I first stepped into Venvio, it felt like a moment where I came alive. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but I first came into Venvio in 2013. We were working on really digging into each individual audience base for building materials. And we started with DIYers. And we were a small agency then. There was five of us total. We're almost 70 employees now. There were just five of us at the time. And I remember being in our pre-office, pre-office, like three offices ago, it was Zach, myself, and one other person. We had this consumer research report and some other data that we dug up and like a whiteboard and we're just diving deep into it. And it was some of like the hardest that I've ever worked. It was like a true startup experience, right? Like there's like bread bowl over all over the place and we're ordering in food and no one's leaving our office. It was some of the most fun work I've ever done. Like we had incredible ideas, like everything felt possible. I was like, this is what, this is what having a job and a career should feel like. I was working instantly overnight, working 10 times harder than I'd worked in any job previously and couldn't get enough of it, like happily doing so. Yeah. And what were your early learnings? Um, Early learnings. Oh man, (laughs) it's pretty. So anytime you get into building materials, you think how complex could this be? And it's still to this day, I continually learn. I'm watching you laugh. Like I continually learn. I'm like, you think you know stuff. We still, I interview customers consistently. I mean, to this very moment, like I've interviewed a couple of architects and engineers just this past week. And every time I think that I'm confident, I've got it all cracked. Somebody introduces an additional element. And I, so the first learning was like building materials is complex. The second learning was like, 
digital marketing and building materials were like oil and water in 2013. It was wild. The look on manufacturers' faces when we told them they needed to invest in a really incredible website was just, for me as a millennial, it was shocking. For them as, <laughs> for them as a manufacturer, it was equally shocking for the opposite reason. And I also think we just, I also immediately met incredible people. Like this is, I don't know any other industry where people love what they do so passionately and so consistently. And even in this exact moment when we're seeing people switch from job to job, I'm watching people move within the industry though. It's not like people are fleeing from our industry. It's a really exciting and fun thing to do. I think also working, I've learned what it means to work at a place where you're building something bigger than yourself. And that's something that I don't think I could ever walk away from. Like being part of something that goes far beyond me, my own personal abilities, skill set, even my own personal vision and gets carried out to bigger and better than I could dream. That's really, really special. That's awesome. And I'm trying to visualize you, you know, in your team, the team pitching this in 2013. Oh my gosh. You're, you're cracking up over there. And I, you are right. Like it was comical. (laughs) I have to ask the question when you came in, how did you score your first couple of customers yourself? Yeah. So the main thing that we knew we could do is know the audience the best. I to the, like, we always tell clients, you're going to know your product better than we know your product. Those are just the facts. I shouldn't be as big of an expert in your product as you are. Cause I would mean that I'm spending my time in the wrong place. The place that we spend our time is in, is with your audiences. So that was really how we started to eight. We were able to prove that we knew what we were talking about. Cause if you get me into the weeds of whatever your specific product is, you're right. My knowledge is shallow as it should be. But I, at this point, have spent, you know, over eight years, even at that point, and when I very first started, yeah, I only knew the DIY consumer in 2013, but I lived and breathed any scrap of data that was available on the DIY consumer. I knew them really, really well and was able to actually have some objections to assumptions made about audiences and then have data to back it up. And that's really where things, conversations start to shift is if you can bring data into it. Because we still, to this day, I don't want you to make a marketing choice because of my opinion. My opinions have to be formed on something. Data, you know, significant anecdotal evidence onward, you know, significant trends in one direction or another, or significant indicators that a trend is coming to an end, something like that. Even like, doesn't matter how smart the person is, you've got to have stuff to back it up. Absolutely. So you mentioned you do interviews, you said, you know, scrapping for any piece of information you have, but it sounds like you did some very systemized things to prove this, maybe some surveys or something. I'm not sure. Describe to me kind of the war chest of knowledge you built up that you can point to over the years. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the very first thing that we did is went through a customer research report but it's not too, it's not too long until you can exhaust what a customer research report has to offer. And so we pretty quickly realized we need to conduct our own research. And so the very following year, we did our very first survey, consumer-based survey for DIY consumers. And we've done consistently, we do regular, both qualitative and quantitative research on individual audiences. So we've done that consistently. We have regular interviews as far as just keeping a pulse on the industry. 
We also find it really important to keep a pulse on industries outside of building materials because everybody talks about how building materials isn't cutting edge enough. So where is the disruption happening and what do we need to learn from those disruptors about mm. potential disruption in building materials? Incredible marketing ideas because if you're going to shake up an industry, you better have marketing ideas to back you up. And then really one of the big factors for us was when everything happened with COVID, and I mean everything because it's hard to sum it up in a short sentence. But you know, I you know March thirteenth, the whole world shut down, or March thirteenth, twenty twenty, I should say, the whole world shut down. Building materials industry, our only frame of reference was the great was the recession of two thousand eight. So everybody puts an immediate stop or an immediate hold on significant volumes of manufacturing, and you know starts to trim everything down, furloughs, sales team members, everybody's preparing for the worst. And then somewhere around April, like somewhere around May, everybody starts to emerge and we're like, so, so, so for sure this is not okay, but for the building materials industry specifically, maybe this is going to be okay. And so then we saw the exact, the pendulum swung to the other side, right? There's more demand than can be fulfilled. I heard, I talked to a flooring manufacturer at that time who put it into incredible perspective where he said, in the past, we were competing with trips to Hawaii because you were either going to redo all of the floors in your home or you're going to take your family of four to Hawaii. And a lot of times Hawaii won. Now nobody's going to Hawaii. So we're getting all of that additional investment. Mm. So around September, we saw the writing on the wall of, you know, Tots at the end of the year, everybody starts to talk about like, what were the trends for the past year? What's the trends coming up? Like whatever your, you know, like ice cream trends or color trends or marketing trends, whatever. So we saw the writing on the wall and we said, there is about to be a bunch of data come out about what is happening in our industry. And we need to know what that is. We've got to get ahead of that. Our whole industry has changed and shifted in a matter of eight months. And we need to know what that pulse is. So we partnered with the Farnsworth Group and came up with Building Products Customer Guide and have now made that part of our annual cadence. And we're not a research firm, but we can't live without that data. We can't live without having consistent touch points. And that's just one major one, right? So we've surveyed about 2,000 people from across the channel, yeah. DIYers, architects, builders, contractors, commercial, residential, you name it, getting their pulse on what was your year like? What kind of projects did you do? Where did you incur pain? What suppliers did you buy from? What brands are you buying? What do you expect to be doing next year? You know, what are your customers demanding from you? So that we can formulate really well data-informed strategies to go to market in the coming year. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when it first happened, people were trying to figure out when it was when it was going to pass. And, you know, there was a period of time where it was pretty clear for most of the industry, this wasn't going to pass and it fundamentally changed the way people go to market. I know. And you must have seen a, a crazy increase in demand at that fluctuation point. So you said you're at 70 right now. In March, 2020, what was your head count? Oh, I think it was 45, okay. 40, something like that. We Pretty grew 50% in 2020. Yeah. Wonderful. It was a really busy year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you touched on something very cool in this uh, sort of thing that you're sh sharing is you said looking at other industries or other areas to see incoming disruptions. 
at this point, what are some of the things you're watching closely? Pandemic was kind of a game changer. I'm saying was, even though we know it's not totally over, but it was kind of a game changer in that there were some winners out of pandemic that were not expected, like building materials. Another winner that we talk about a lot is Instacart. So the big winner out of pandemic is Instacart. Are you ever going into a grocery store again? No, what a waste of your time. They charge you obscene prices, but the groceries magically arrive on your doorstep. It's amazing. So we are watching companies. I actually think Carvana is a company to watch that we are trying to learn a lot from for a number of reasons. First of all, car buying, pretty terrible, just like universally agreed as terrible. Somehow they've made it hip and trendy. That is not an easy thing to do. They also came out with a high investment, but really cool. We call them talk triggers um, because it's really just a marketing play where they have their car vending machines. Have you heard about this? Yes, yes. Have, I have. you been to one? Because I have a question. I have not, but I, I come from Japan with everything fits in a vending machine. So <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. You, you saw that and you were like, yeah, that makes sense. That's okay, yeah. <laughs> here's my question. And if you ever come across one, I want I want a message from you. Got What's it. the payment structure? Oh my goodness. I have no idea. Me Crypto? either. <laughs> That's what our director of sales said. I haven't been to one. I've like driven past them at IBS because there's one in Orlando, but I was too busy like running between meetings. So I couldn't, I just want to walk up and I'm like, do I, I, I swipe my credit card? Is everything in here like under $10,000 and you just assume I have a credit limit of that high? Like, what's the plan? Am I putting in dollars, <laughs> like 20 bills one at a time? Like, so I, anyway. I think you just show up there and just, you know, you know, give a kidney or something. Yeah. And, and then that's on Hawk. And if you don't, you know, pay it back, then honor, you know, honor system, you know, I'm going to scan my fingerprint. And it's just the honor system. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, a company that can take something like buying a used car and make it a thing that I find where I, and I say, I, I mean, like we in general find worthy of discussing is really incredible. Not only have they done that, you're starting to see copycat businesses. And anytime you see copycat businesses, you know that you're onto something. They have created, not only disrupted a market, they've created their own competition. They are doing something really, really special. They're also having an incredible moment because the price of used cars is just through the roof. Yeah. So I'm definitely not as close to the information as you are. You know, you're, So I'm curious, one of the, you know, approaches always, you know, and Amazon really kicked this off, at least in my opinion, is trying to reduce the friction, making it easier. Convenience wins over many, many different things mm -hmm. is in the building materials space, the margins are not the same as they are in other industries. Yeah. And one of the, the counters that I've heard from sort of like more direct buying and different models is, you know, it's it's harder to disrupt because the money the money that's available isn't quite there as the same as other industries. What do you say to that? I can't argue with it. I mean, that's one of the I love when we get new employees or we have conversations with new people outside of the building materials space and get the opportunity to share those types of margins. Like when you talk about the margin that a builder has, like a, just a standard residential builder who's building track homes their margins are so slim on what from a consumer standpoint is such a huge investment. It really starts to put things into perspective. I do think my main feedback or pushback there is I hear you and I see you. And I, if I would be a fool to say that I have an easy out of the box solution. However, if we've learned anything in the last two or three years, it's that resisting change is futile. And if we don't come up with a plan, if you don't have a way to 
increase your margins, to reduce friction, to get as close to the customer as possible, frankly, to meet the user expectations that we now have because of places like Amazon. We don't have place for user to meet user expectations like we do through Amazon. So we actually have data to show that in 2020, Amazon, unsurprisingly, their purchases, their purchase instances of building materials went up like 20% because the world got shoved at home, dealers closed, and everybody was like, I have to buy stuff online. Where do I go? I go to Amazon. Now, as soon as dealers, like dealer distributor locations opened in 21, those numbers went immediately back down, but they were a go-to. If you're not a go-to in a crunch time, you are going to lose money. We also saw Home Depot over the last couple of years, they have been able to reap the benefits of a billion dollar investment that they made four years ago to Amazon proof themselves. They didn't know that the pandemic was coming. And if they did and didn't tell us, we should all be mad. They didn't know that this moment was coming, but they knew regardless of this level of pressure happening, this change was going to happen. Demand for online ordering, demand for job site delivery, demand for ease of purchase. And that's like, if we go back to the CarMax experience, am I saying the right, I feel like I'm, no, Carvana, gosh, I'm saying the wrong thing. If we go back to Carvana, they reduced friction. Instead of having to deal with someone who's like wheeling and dealing and da, 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 I just like, no, I'm not, we're not negotiating on price. You're right. This is more than you're going to pay at a local dealership. However, you don't have to talk to a human. Would you like to pay me money or would you like to leave? They reduced friction. If you don't have a plan to do that, I'm not telling you it's an issue for tomorrow, but I can't imagine that's a winning solution for the next five years. Yeah. Convenience definitely wins long-term. Now you touched on it. There's more to this, you know, adding value equation. Like what are the, what are the, besides increasing convenience friction, what are the other ways that building manufacturers can add value to their customers? So this is going to sound a little out of left field, but a consistent drumbeat that we hear is the importance of sales reps. Okay. Every once in a while, probably about every 12 to 18 months, there's some rumor running around that manufacturers are going to move away from sales reps and move totally D to C and same with distributors. Like you just kind of hear that every once in a while. And I don't really think that that's going to happen. And let me tell you why. So not third-party reps who have a whole roster are like a you know traveling department store and they sell a ton of products, but really dependable technical reps that know your product better than an architect could ever hope to because architects have to know everything. So if they are incredibly knowledgeable technical reps, that is a way that you can offer exceptional value. I actually talked to an architect just two weeks ago. We were talking about two really well-known roofing manufacturers and he was working on a large project, I asked him why he chose one manufacturer over the other. And he said, oh, it's their rep. That actually, anytime I can use this manufacturer, I use them because I know I can call their rep. I know he knows exactly what to do. He's going to walk me through the whole process. I also know he's going to tell me if their product won't work. Mm, Wonderful. Great. I mean, we could go on forever. I know. (laughs) Is there anything that I um, didn't ask you that you commonly share or you wanted to share? Well, I mean, I guess I'd love to hear from you, Tats, because you talk to so many people. What are you hearing that feels exciting for what's coming next? A few things I'm looking at. I mean, I, I think I do the same thing as you in terms of trying to figure out what the incoming trends are. I think mm-hmm. like I'm going to really simplify it and say there's 
two ways to become an expert. You can take a very broad topic, let's say marketing, and you can spend 20 years building up credibility and learning it and, and, and trying to master it. Or you can take a new emerging area and run faster than any, anyone else. And <laughs> I I, I'm just not smart enough or maybe patient enough or whatever to win the other way. So whenever I can, I just try to be early enough and smart enough, not smart enough, early enough, fast enough to get ahead of it. So by default, there's some, some advantage there. So whenever I can, I try to do that. If I can't do that, I try to hang around with people that do that. And hopefully I get a small percentage of what they know transferred through me to osmosis. So I don't know. I'm very interested in how the Web3 stuff will play out and how, and not necessarily, I'm not as interested on the technology side, but just the way they approach community building. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people, marketers will talk about storytelling right now. And I think, you know, there's just more and more better resources and skill set and playbooks around community building that are going to be very, very important for any business going, going forward. So I've embedded myself in these organizations that do this very well. And I'm trying to, trying to get a little bit of a rub and, and learn how to do that better. I love that. I couldn't agree more. I think community, we say sometimes community is the new currency and you have to be building community. It's really smart. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Beth. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.